You're listening to the Sound Girls Podcast with just Katie today. Today's episode features an interview with Jill Zimmerman. Jill is an award-winning audio engineer currently working mainly out of Jucasa Studios near Hamilton, Ontario. Coming from Cologne, Germany, Jill followed her dream to work in the North American music industry with its wealth of talented musicians and artists. She achieved a Bachelor of Engineering in Media Technology, specializing in audio at the University of Applied Sciences in Dusseldorf, Germany. In addition, she graduated with a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Audio Production at the School of Audio Engineering in Cologne. Since Jill moved to Canada, she started working on many projects alongside the two Juno-winning albums from Harrison Kennedy, This Is From Here, and Touch by July Talk. Additionally, she has played an important role as the engineer of two gold singles, a gold record, and several Billboard number one hits while working with bands such as Three Days Grace, Alice Cooper, City in Color, Alexis on Fire, July Talk, and The Trues. Having worked as a full-time engineer made it possible to work with renowned engineers and producers, Bob Ezrin, Howard Benson, Gavin Brown, Mike Plotnikoff, Ian Davenport, and David Bendeth. I totally forgot to mention, I think, like for the record, I mean, I mentioned it to you, but we're in person right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'm sorry. It's just, it's so much easier to vibe with somebody in person, especially after this whole, you know, COVID thing where you're just, all I deal with is clients and that's about it, which is also fun, but it's, it's sometimes hard to just talk to somebody you really haven't met before and pretend like you're just hanging, right? We're pretending we're hanging. Yeah. (laughs) This is all an act. (laughs) Yeah. And just talk and figure things out. No, this is so fun. Um, I'm really glad, like, you took me up on that. I was like, well, we're both in Hamilton, maybe. But I was like, oh, that's such a, that's so weird during COVID. But thank God. Okay. Um, how do I start these things normally? Um, let's yeah. talk about your childhood and your musical upbringing. <laughs> when were you born? <laughs> yes. How was the birth? Yeah. yeah. Like my whole family was musical to an extent. Like there was always music in the home in a way. And um, all of my siblings play an instrument. Some started later, but when I was in first grade too, I went to an after school curriculum where you had to learn to read notes and all that stuff. And then after that year, my, my mom took me to an open house of a music school where you could try any instrument and you just pick and choose. Wow. And nice. like, I think two of my siblings decided not to do anything right away. Oh, no, it was one of them. How many she didn't siblings want to do you have, by the way? Six. Oh, wow. Yeah. Nice. Very so nice. there was always like on Christmas, everybody plays their instruments and sings. And for me, I, I picked the violin and it was just, um, I'm a little bit of a perfectionist sometimes. And when I hear I'm off, it throws me out. So I was never the kind of virtuoso, just like play. And it sounds amazing. I was always just like playing. But as soon as I hit a wrong note or like slightly off pitch, I noticed and like stopped being in the song. And my violin teacher said, like, it's a blessing and a curse, at least to hear you off. Because right. he said a lot of people don't hear pitch. But also then you don't get to, like, play as much because you're not in the moment. And, I mean, in the end, playing violin for 10 years, I'm not a violinist, but at least now I can melodyne vocals really well, you know? I can so hear when off. people are off or tell them to tune their guitar. And I hate when people just, like play the note once through on each string and just like, no, it's in tune. 
I'm like, no, it's not. I can hear that. Like even the tuners are not always 100% right because sometimes it's like a little bit, a little bit missing and you can just tell. But it trained my ear and I didn't plan on that, right? Violin. I mean, it's mm. like kind of like a major one. That was my dream instrument, but I called it a fiddle. I want to play fiddle. It's very different though. Like I can only read notes and a lot of people don't get that. When people, I, I don't like telling musicians I play violin because then they always get like, oh, you should just play some fiddle on here. And it's like, sorry, but no. I need it written down on a piece of paper <laughs> and I have to just read it. Like I can't just improvise. Right. And that's just something I never learned. I would tell people if they want to get their kids into music, let them first improvise and then learn the theory. You can always at any point of your life learn music theory. But if you start with music theory, you're usually more classical trained. It's harder to then shut off your brain and just listen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because I guess it's sort of rigid and you get used to the rules and the rigid. Yeah. And there's some comfort in just reading notes. Yeah. The only thing you can do is read them wrong or execute them wrong but like they're written so it must be in key so it must be in the right timing like you don't have to worry about any of these things if you're improvising you have to know your skills or at least just know where which note sounds how yeah and it's it's a little bit more vulnerable I guess because you're just what you're playing is what you're hearing and even if you just execute it wrong people don't know if you heard it wrong or if you just played it wrong But if you just play what's on a piece of paper, it's just, it's like reading a book instead of writing one, right? It's, it's easier. Yeah. Fair point. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So, okay. So you were a violinist. You don't like to tell people. (laughs) (laughs) I don't tell people much. No. (laughs) I know. Um, But it obviously helped a great deal. And um, you, like, what kind of um, music did you listen to when you were a kid? Were you like a classical music kind of gal? Um. I mean, classical music was great, but um, I basically first listened to what all my older siblings were listening mm. to. It always starts like that, of right? Course, yeah. I mean, you hear what other people are hearing. And then when I was 14, it was the 10th uh, anniversary of Kurt Cobain's death, and it came on the radio. And I, it flipped some weird switch where I was just so into it. It might have been like a, a bunch of like different factors, like, you know, once you're in a certain age where you more think about what music do I want to listen to and not what is already there and what really moves you. And it just, it really meant a lot to me. So I just listened to it over and over and over. And that was also kind of part of the reason why I chose audio engineering in the long term, I guess. Interesting. Yes. Go it's dig crazy. deeper. So, so well, first of all, noticing that like music can have that kind of effect on you where you just kind of forget everything around you, you know, where you just get in that like weird state where you could just be floating somewhere. It doesn't really matter. So I was one day, and I think I was 16 or something. I was driving home from school on my bike and I had my iPod on, which was back then still popular. <laughs> oh God, an iPod, and uh, listened to music. And then I just got so into the music that I closed my eyes, took my hands off the handle, and head banked, and drove against the curb, flew over the bike against the tree, and I just remember being angry because something stopped my music experience, like listening to it. 
And then I opened my eyes and realized, well, I could have driven against a car and died. So that was probably not the smartest thing. So even now, I don't really listen to music when I'm somewhere in transit, like driving a bike or car. So no music for me because it's just too distracting. You get swept away when you yes. listen to music. I love that. Even weird music where I'm like not even a fan. Of, like I'm not a fan of operatic stuff, but I tried the operatic channel. Even there, I'm just like, nope, too into it. I'm not paying attention to the car in front of me. So it's very important for me to just be focused because obviously it's not just my life, but other people's lives on the hook here. Yeah. Um, so no music for me, but that's the moment I decided I have to do something with music in my life. Yeah. Now, not having practiced that much violin at that point, and I have stage fright, which is not that big of a deal when you're in an orchestra or in a choir because you're always one of a lot of people. Yeah. Right? Like... It really isn't that big of a deal if you're one of the four first violins. Like, okay, well, if I just don't play that part, like, it's still being played. Like, I'm not the one that really messes it up. Right. Um, so I would never see myself as an artist performing on stage because then there's not too many people looking at me. I've never liked that doing, like, you know, when, you, when you're in school and you have to present something. Like, I just never liked that feeling. So... I didn't really know what other options are, so I went to, um, what's it called, like the government's help resources for finding work, because right. they did that in 12th grade where they just, you could just go there and just ask them like, what should I do with my life after I'm done high school? So I just told them I want to do something with music, and um, I'm also very technically gifted, because my other choices would have been before that, that I study physics or math. So they said, well, there's this career of like a sound engineer and like you basically do all the technology part of the music. And I never really heard about it before, to be honest, because <laughs> like I wasn't in a band time. and yeah. like most of my friends weren't playing instruments either. There was like the odd person that had an instrument they played, but in a classical sense, too. And then I had one friend in a band in high school. So, like, that's about the scope. And she was only in the band for half a year, I think. So it oh, doesn't really small. count. Like, there was yeah. no live shows. I could have seen somebody work. And right. Whenever I was at live shows, I never really looked behind me who was actually doing the sound. I never really thought about that possibility. I did not know that there's, there was a person yeah, doing there's that. There's so many jobs you don't even know exist, right? Yeah, I know. I'm bitter towards high school careers exactly. class. Exactly. It's like doctor, teacher. It, there's those other things you know about <laughs> yeah. there's so many other things so, so many yeah um they directed me towards they, they basically told me different options so in germany there's two different ways you can either study it mm. or you can do an apprenticeship and then become a meister which takes like i think over three years or something um but they said because i had relatively good grades i should go the scholarly way because I would otherwise maybe get bored and then not do it, which is then a lost time. Right. Um, so I went to the School of Audio Engineering with my mom on an open, it was like an open day where they just introduced people to the school itself and what they had. And I remember the first time I walked into their room A with a, like, I think it was 88 tracks. It was a Neve console. And I just knew right then and there, that's what I'm going to do. Like, it was just not even a question anymore. Even when they all told my mom, like, yeah, you know, like, usually one person in class gets a job afterwards. Oh, <laughs> really? No they give you the stats. Here. No, those are brutal stats. Oh, yeah. But that's everywhere. 
Really? Well, depending on the class sizes, obviously. Yeah. Right? Which, what were they, I guess? They were 25. Okay, but one in 25? Yeah, I know, that's like 4%. That's there? Right? Oh, yeah, look Ooh. at you now. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> wow. It's, oh, that's daunting. It's It's bad, but it's also, you know after you go through the program, why? A lot of people don't put in the time. They don't have it really as a passion. They were just like, well, something with media or something with music. Right. Yeah. Yes. So I'm going to assume if, <laughs> if the stats went that way, you were the one. <laughs> well, I had two different kinds of classes in that school. We had first a diploma class. And I think as far as I know, I mean, I haven't kept up with everybody that was in my class, but I think in that one, I was the only one. And then afterwards, there was a bachelor class. Which out of those a lot more had a job, but they also were already more committed because they already finished the diploma and went further. So right. it was more of like, you know, maybe five people out of every class went to get their bachelor after. Wait, so it was two years diploma program and then four years? And then one year for the bachelor on top. So it's basically oh, okay. like if you don't want to do three years, you can just, they changed it around now. It's a little different, but um, that was when I went there. Yeah. Okay, so tell me about your education, because I think it covered, you were doing live sound, you were doing kind of a wide range of sound-oriented yes. so it's, stuff. it's not that easy to get into studio work. There's not that many studios, there's not that much work needed, like they don't need that many people to do it, and everybody wants to really do it. Mm. Like, let's face it, there was not that many people that did want to do studio sound. So I didn't want to just not do anything, and I also know that you have to do a lot during your studies. So aside from always being in the studios and helping other students with their projects, I did live sound in two bars and some other live venues. Um, I did broadcasting. Uh, I worked at a advertising studio where we just do commercials and other things, mainly just voiceovers. Um, yeah. which it was fun because the team was amazing and you learn so much about editing vocals that you get a little too, well, picky, I guess. Right. Like sometimes I have a real issue when people, um, well, if you record vocals and they drink the wrong things before, oh. you're like really like, like orange juice and milk. <laughs> well, it would have been worse if you put like honey on it too, right? Oh, Even though honey just... is good for your voice, it also makes you smack a lot and that makes a lot more editing. So things like that, where it's right. like, well, not just that, but even like little thing, you hear more the timbre of the voice when you're doing things. Like you listen for other things mm. and you're a little bit more critical with a lot of things. Yeah. Especially concerning the vocals. And um, because you have to compress the living hell out of these <laughs> commercial vocals, you hear every little thing. So you have to really know how to edit and quick because it's very expensive. Commercial right. recording studios are charging a lot of money, but they also don't need as much time, right? Right. Well, that's sort of interesting because I guess with that kind of diverse background, you know, the violin and like then the commercial thing, it's just like it all kind of contributed to you developing your ear. Exactly. And yeah. even the broadcasting is one thing I learned in broadcasting so much is timing like there is so many times when I was like you have two minutes right now to do this one thing 
you have to move over from this set to the other set or like there was this one time an actress was way too late like usually they were supposed to come an hour and a half early for makeup and everything she came the second the show started so i literally took three seconds to mic her up which she wasn't okay with but you're an actress (laughs) you know you're going to be mic'd up like deal with it (laughs) come on come earlier if you want to have like an introduction and everything but you know and you have to be able to work fast and be out of the picture at a certain spot. Because there is no, oh, let's just wait for her. No. Three seconds and we're on. And then you have to get things done. Right. So that whole discipline and even just knowing when to rush and when not to rush is very important. And also knowing when to be quiet. Because we can't really talk. <laughs> no, I know. That's why I think broadcast kind of onset stuff for me is hard. Because <laughs> I like to talk. So yeah, for me to run by myself, I got to do post audio because no one to talk to. Yeah. <laughs> Just me and the characters on the screen. That's, yeah, it's yeah, sometimes easier for sure. Yeah, yeah, different but personalities. Having a little bit of just urgency is sometimes good, which is also the same for bands, like having a deadline, right? Yeah, no, no, We all totally. know how it works without deadlines. Yeah, no, this is good. So you did a lot of extra stuff and you didn't necessarily notice that your uh, classmates, were, were they doing like the extra mile necessarily? There was maybe one or two that were doing something. Some people had their own little recordings going on, but it wasn't really much. Yeah, it wasn't really much much going on because they thought, oh, we're studying, so we're going to work after. But unfortunately, you don't have much time to learn after you're done school. Like, people expect you to be very efficient. And I don't mean perfect, because nobody's ever perfect to begin with, but there have to be certain, well, you have to know how to behave in a studio, first of all, because that's a a big no-no. And then you have to know how to run a system properly and fast, because you always have to consider, too, like, people are paying for your time. And if you're slow, you're making them pay more because they need more time yeah like that's why you always have to be quicker than the artists so they're waiting on you no wait so you're waiting on them exactly yeah (laughs) yeah yeah right okay so i guess you would in general recommend for uh people in school (laughs) such as myself um is that you should always well you already do the podcasting and you're already editing them oh i know it doesn't sound like much but like even in high school i used like what was it audacity or something mm-hmm, and just mm-hmm. like cut my sister's gym songs together because he's like i need these five songs but only 30 seconds and then they have to fade into each other's like oh your music it editing. doesn't sound like much but it's just a start to know what sounds good what doesn't sound good and yeah. that alone is worth a lot because you can't get that experience with people that are paying you money right i mean right you have to already know what you're doing. Can you tell me about uh, graduating, I guess, kind of that transition into the yeah. real world? So I know that at a, what was it, the sixth semester was supposed to be a practical semester. So you go somewhere and work somewhere. But because I already worked so much, I had enough hours accounted for. So I technically didn't have to do it. But I was like, well, it would be fun to just do it somewhere else. And it's easier to get in somewhere if you are just doing as a student's thing because a lot of people don't expect much from it. So I thought, well, let's not do it here. Let's go overseas. Because, I mean, I could have probably gone to England or other countries that have a big recording industry. But I 
always wanted to go to um, the music that I like most, and that's North America. Yeah. So I applied to a bunch of studios in the U.S. and didn't either get any kind of response or just like easy, quick, no, thank you kind of things. And then because I lived in New Jersey when I was 16 for a year, I knew a few people and one of them was in the band and he said, oh yeah, I asked the studio, like they could take you in for like half a year as an intern. So that was an option. And then my one professor, he used to work in um, the U.S. for a few years. So he said he would be able to give me like an intern job somewhere. And then at the same time, I applied to the first well, Canadian studio. And only because a friend of mine came back from a vacation from Canada and she did this whole evening of, let's look at my photos, which were all gorgeous. Oh, it was the pretty pictures of yeah. the friends. It was from BC too, which I still haven't oh. seen. <laughs> BC is gorgeous. Um, yes. Yeah, I can attest Every to that. Every photo was like a postcard. It was yeah. just like, whoa, why don't I go there? They yeah. have music. Yeah. Um, they actually have more music than I thought to begin with. Because sometimes when you are across the ocean, you're just like, oh, it's somewhere there. Somewhere there on this continent, right? right. Like you don't really go into like each country. Like I didn't know all these bands from Canada. But a lot of them are like, we're from Canada. It's just always like North American band. Like, okay, well, that means right. a lot, right? Yeah. So I applied for Jucasta Studios and they said, well, internship is okay, but actually in half a year we need an assistant. And that's always better than an internship. Yeah. Right? So the only problem was being done with school in half a year. So I just kind of wanted to quit and my parents are not a fan of that. <laughs> They don't like that decision. So you said, no, so you're not going to quit school for this. So I just had to, well, basically do two or three semesters in one. So I had to do a little bit more extra work to account for the extra practical semester and do the last semester at the same time as the fifth. So I was done in two and a half years instead of three and a half. Okay. I just had to just fast track it. So... <laughs> I basically <laughs> just moved from my apartment to my parents in the same week as I had to hand in my bachelor thesis and do the oral and pack my two bags to go to Canada, which I've never been to before. Oh, my god! It just all happened so quick. And then all of a sudden, I was in Canada. And a few days later, I started. And then, well, the rest, I'm the still rest there. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. It wow. Just, it can sometimes happen really quick. And I didn't plan on it, but like... No, I don't I know. Mean, how could you... That would be bad planning if you did all we, that in one week. Jeez. <laughs> no. It's nuts. Wow. Quick question. You worked with the Arkells, but was that in Europe? That was in Germany life gig. My first life gig ever. <laughs> what? That's crazy. And I didn't even really remember. I just... I think I had a photo on my... I don't know, my timeline or something. And then I realized, oh my God, like they're from Hamilton too. <laughs> It's like poetic, right? Even, yeah, and it wasn't even a scheduled gig either. They had a scheduled gig the night before across the street, and then they did some kind of a Motown gig <laughs> in this little bar, and I was just starting life, life sound at this point. Who would have known that the first live gig I did, I end up in the same city? It's, it's weird. Nuts. Yeah, because yeah. like Arkells is like the Hamilton band, really. I know. I mean, don't they have a song called, or an album called Jackson Square? I think so, yeah. Right? And it's like... That's our band. I mean, I'm going to pretend I'm like from Hamilton. I'm not, but (laughs) I'm absolutely not. But I don't think they're either, though. Are they not? No, I think they all went to school in Hamilton. That's how they met. So you're just this Hamilton. Oh, my God. Raquel's sponsor us. (laughs) (laughs) 
But no, it's, it's wow. funny because I've met um, the keys player and the singer for different projects. And I think I mentioned it and they're like, yeah, we did this off, off to a date gig in that one little thing. And I was like, yeah, I guess I did life song for you guys. That's crazy. <laughs> but I'm glad I don't know life sound anymore. It's a lot of work. I mean, I have so much respect for everyone who does that because it's long hours, especially if you tour with them too. Yeah. And just, you're working. You're working. Yeah, I couldn't even imagine. <laughs> I mean, studio's long time too, but it's it, it's a little bit more planned, I guess. Right. Okay. So let's, let me ask, when you were in school, um, I assume they give you studio experience. How did that experience translate to, you said Jukasa is how you say that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I read it. Um, you know, your first days there, like, were you ready for the etiquette? Um, you know, how did, how did your first couple days there go? So it was good at Jukasa the first few days, but there's a few things you don't get prepared in school. Like this whole psychology thing where, I don't know, like just dealing with artists. Everyone's so, so different. And artists are very different from one another. It's not just like your common Joe that's on the street. And just You know, it's, it's everybody works a different way, but also some people all of a sudden open up to you and you're just not prepared for that and then break down. And then sometimes, you know, people, it gets late in the day, maybe they have a wine and then all of a sudden they just tell you kids' stories of themselves or like how their parents never approved and you just have to learn to deal with that side of things because you have to keep the artist in the mindset to record but you also have to like listen to them because you can't just be like okay well let's press the art behind that mic (laughs) yeah so it's all of a sudden you're also a psychologist which i don't think anybody's prepared for that not even psychologists are prepared to be psychologists really it's you know anybody ever prepared (laughs) my people are complex creatures let me tell you they are and everybody has their own set of experiences and views and yeah you know sometimes you work with people you don't necessarily agree with yeah how do you deal with that usually not saying what you want But also maybe if you want to counteract certain things, say them in a way that nobody gets offended. Like, I think just being able to have a conversation or an argument that is not taken personal is something that a lot of people not learning anymore. That is a very like good sometimes point, yeah. if you have a certain view about something and I have a different view, it doesn't mean either of us are right. We're probably both wrong to begin with. Like, let's be real. Yeah, yeah for real. So it's just learning how to voice those things if you have to but usually you just nod and just like oh yeah crazy right i've heard about this meanwhile you you don't even really are on the same page like it's just everybody is so different and you work with anybody like people that come from different backgrounds different age like it's not just the same age group as you like usually when you're studying it's like a certain age group that you're working with right yeah all of a sudden you work with people that have lived longer than you know you twice as long I mean it's just yeah it's hard and like everybody is also just treating you different too like not in a bad way but like some people are more open with you and some people are more reserved yeah so you have to learn how to be able to work with that yeah yeah no huge interpersonal dynamic uh yeah and then getting things out of people too yeah yeah 
So uh, have you uh, adjusted your approach with more time in it? Because I guess there's a lot of anticipating needs and kind of gently prodding the artist back yeah. behind the microphone to get kind of what you need from the day. Like, I'm sure there's kind of the... Yeah, sometimes you have to just know when to just call it a day, too. Yeah. It's, it's sometimes when, like, I mean, especially when people are sick. Like, don't come in the studio if you're sick. Oh, my God, don't. There, like, PSA. even if you just have a cold, like, rather cancel and tell me you have a cold because I can't use anything, like, if you're a singer. Yeah. I can't use anything that you're singing because it's nasally. Like They don't have a denasal um, plug-in yet? Not yet, that I'm aware of. Oh, my God, Maybe they can get on that. Uh, plug-in developers. <laughs> yeah, it's denasal. But it's... Going sick. <laughs> or just when people are mentally not in it. Like, yeah. sometimes people just have a really rough day and you just, look, you just, let's just move it. Like, whatever. Like, yeah. Because you can waste a lot of time and then including money for something that's not going to work out. Like, what's the point in that? Yeah. Like, I, I'm not in this to just take your money. No. Oh, that's uh, good. No. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> that was, I guess, shocking, the interpersonal bit coming in. Um, what helped you kind of get adjusted to the climate or was it just kind of experience? It was honestly just a lot of experience coming in i think sometimes you just have to be thrown in the cold water it's better than being too prepared and then not being able to do things because you're not panic thinking you know panic thinking so you should be good at improvising on the violin that's panic thinking mm. <laughs> it's <No>. panic playing <laughs> it's just panic, it's panic, panic, panic. baby <laughs> yeah okay that's um i think that's really good advice how do you um recover after because i mean if you do that in the beginning uh rather than accepting it as kind of part of the gig you're like oh i'm stupid and i'm bad at this <laughs> you know but you'll never be perfect to begin with you'll never know everything and there's always this one time when you've done this job forever and then somebody is completely different like maybe there's a certain guitar and then the mic doesn't work on it because it doesn't sound right so you have to f change it over like you can't just be too what's it called you can't be too planned ahead like you can't always be like that's what i always do because it's not always working like if you use a certain mic on every vocal like well there's going to be certain vocals it's not going to fit right and then it's better to just change it over than to be like well that's how i always did this that's how i learned it like well if you're stuck in that thinking that you should already know what you're doing then you'll never learn more Right? Bravo. <laughs> yes, I know that. I love that. That's, um, I think that's really good. I think, um, and do you think you kind of always had that perspective or just kind of like a, you have to have it if you're going to keep going, if you're going to succeed in this industry? I think in order to succeed, you have to have a certain confidence to begin with. Because if you're second guessing everything you're doing, you're not getting anywhere. Yeah. And sometimes you just have to own your mistakes. And like, that's something I've always had where it's like, yeah. You know what? I fucked up. I made a mistake. But people like to hear that more often than saying no. No, it wasn't me. <laughs> and then they know it was you and then they feel betrayed because, you know, it's... It, I've had a few times when I did something wrong, obviously. I mean... A couple uh, times. A couple times <laughs> happens. Times. Sorry. <laughs> but, I mean, everybody does make mistakes at some point. Whether it's like a wrong patch or something. But then... It's more important to own up to your mistake and say, yeah, sorry, I missed that or I did that wrong. 
let me fix it. It's always better than to start arguing. No, like it should have worked. Like, I don't know. Like, because where are you getting really? Have a certain amount of confidence. Being able to take down the fall when you actually are messing up. But not for other people, only for yourself. Mm. I'm sorry, but like, otherwise you look like you're always messing up. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You don't have to blame somebody else, but you can say that wasn't me. If it wasn't, then that's fine. And just being open to learn because in the end, even if you've had, I mean, I can't really say that, but if you've had 40 years of experience and then you work with somebody else who does something different, whether it's the workflow or the signal chain, and it sounds good, then just admit that it's good and maybe learn from it. Because, I mean, first of all, everybody hears things differently anyways. There. There's yeah. times when I hear a mix and I'm like, I don't know how people like this, but I guess they do. And it's oh, not yeah, my... name drop. No, <laughs> not happening. But it's just sometimes it's not your place to say something either. Like right. you have to learn when to shut up and just not say anything because it's not your call. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm mainly the engineer, right? So it's not like if I was the producer, it would be a different story because it's following on you, but as an engineer, it's like, no, I did my job. And maybe somebody is going for something else. Yeah. What was, um, <laughs> what was your worst day at work? Well, and we'll, we'll do best too. To don't worry. <laughs> I don't know. It's just thinking about it. There is not a specific one. I mean, there's a few times when you work with people that are not prepared and you just wait for them to make things happen. I don't really like that because then it's kind of just boring for me to sit there and wait for them to be able to. Yeah. Or sometimes, you know, just them arranging the song and you're like, well, it should have been done ahead of time. Like now I'm sitting here for three hours and waiting yeah. for you guys. That is something I don't really like. I have harder days when I get a migraine during work. Those are hard days, but I usually try to just hide that. Oh. Usually it works. Hard to hide a migraine. Well, I'm lucky that I don't get... um what's it called the sensitivity for listening or seeing like yeah. some people have the visual yeah. issues which i thankfully don't have it's yeah. more like a smell thing i have so like don't eat a tuna sandwich next to me but it's hard that's a big ask <laughs> it's easy to ask when you're on the console though because you're like yeah. oh i could spill all over the console just, just don't go back <laughs> yeah so it's it's those are harder days because you have to like pretend everything's fine with you meanwhile you're just like really suffering yeah but um i there's not a specific day I could recall right now. No, that's Probably like after honest. this interview, I'm going to be like, oh, yeah, this one day. <laughs> and it was the Ark House. No, I'm just joking. No. <laughs> yeah, I'm joking. Don't do that in Hamilton. <laughs> They're going to come egg my apartment. <laughs> Kick me out of the city. Um, okay, best day. Or, I mean, I know it's hard to say best, oh, but just a day that so first thing that comes to mind that you're like, um, this is why I do it. This I met my dream. I think, oh my God, I believe it would have probably been one of the days with July Talk because we went to tape and I really enjoyed it. As much as tape is really a bother and it's expensive and it takes a long time and, you know, you have to calibrate the whole thing a day before and it takes forever and then you have issues with the tape. But for me, there's some kind of nostalgic about recording to tape because it's all physical yes. you know it's just you see this tape where information is stored and it's just such a weird thing but i really enjoyed it now would i recommend everybody going to tape no 
It's, you have to be prepared. You have to be good, which thankfully they were. Um, but it's also just, it's a lot of time. It's a lot of money that a lot of people cannot spend. Yeah. I mean, it's, we, we did record before and after tape two, two Pro Tools so that nothing gets really lost. But it's, it's a lot more work. But it's just, it was great because you do have more breaks. Because when we had to print it back into Pro Tools, you had to let those 15 minutes go. And everybody listens back to the takes. It's just a very, everybody was in a good mood. And it was more of a relaxed feeling. Sometimes you have really days where you have like, I don't know, you work 16 hours, you have two pee breaks. Like, it's not easy. Yeah. Which, by the way, musicians out there, uh, don't do that to your engineer. Not fun. Do not. Sometimes, you know, just need a little break. And not like a big one, but just, you know, just just like I'm a person. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) let me see the sun once a day. (laughs) So too much to ask. Yeah. Wow. Okay, I... Of course, that's a very marvelous segue. Um, like, you know, if you could give us a little more uh, deets about the July Talk album. And because yes. um, that was the one you won the Juno for. I well, you yes. won too. <laughs> you won too. Well, yeah, the, the album won. So everybody involved won. Yes. Right. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what was the kind of, because obviously that's peculiar to do to tape or it's uncommon yeah. in some ways. So what was the approach? Uh, what was... How was that communicated with you? Like, how, how did the creative vision take so shape? So, they told us ahead of time, of course. So, we were prepared. Yeah. And um, the producer was from Britain, Ian Davenport. And he is, um, I don't want to say he's older, but he is physically older than me. So, he has worked with tape before. Mm. I come from a time where you don't work with tape anymore yeah. on a regular basis. But he thought it's a good idea for their sound. And we also didn't record to click. So... That was a whole nother issue if you want to like merge takes, right? Because the tempo has to be similar, Mm -hmm. which if it's too click, it's a little easier to match those up. It was a big setup because we almost used the whole console because the one side was 24 channels in and the other one was 24 channels out. Well, I mean, we have more channels available, but yeah, it was definitely a bigger setup and I think we used almost every patch cable we had. Wow. <laughs> that is a rare thing. But Ian was really good about it too because he knew what he was doing. So it wasn't like he was just, you know, it was like, oh, do another take, do another take. Like he knew what he wanted and when he got it. Yeah. And that's very important too for the progress because you need to be able to make that decision. And it's good to have a producer on that point too. How... Um did it feel, I guess, how does it feel to have your work uh, recognized, something that you worked on recognized in something like the it's Juno Awards? amazing, especially sometimes you know you're doing something big. And we could all tell, I think, being in the room. There was different factors to it. I mean, Ian had so much expertise as a producer and um, he was flown in. So also, you know, having like a little, you know, some British person in the room. Yeah. It was just, it was very, um, I don't know, it was just very relaxing. You know, it was such a mix of people. And then the band itself, they're great players. So there was no issue with that. I love the songs already. And then at the end of the day, we all had to take a break because we all had dinner together, like a little family dinner. That's and nice. it was just the whole experience recording that record, which was amazing, even if it didn't win. Yeah. Right? So sometimes... 
I don't know, like, if I were given the choice, you know, do you want to win an award or have a great time recording it, I would choose the great time recording. Because an award will come at some point. I mean, hopefully I'm... Oh my god, we don't know. Certain certain (laughs) kinds of rewards, right? Like, not every reward is the same, I get that. But also, who really cares? I don't know. Yeah. Like, just have a fun life, I guess. Makes more sense. And I mean, yeah, it won an award. I think the album and the single went also gold, so that's also cool. Especially for them, because I really love the songs. Yeah. But, yeah, it's just... I don't know. I'd rather have fun and, you know, create something that I stand behind than just something I don't necessarily want and then win. But, like, it's better if it all matches up, of course. Oh, my God, you get it all. You have it all. (laughs) (laughs) Why choose? Yeah, that's amazing. Well, still, congrats. I mean, other than having fun and lots of amazing recording experiences, what's, like, your uh, vision for your career? What's your goal slash dream? I mean, it would be nice to have a Grammy one day. It'd be pretty <laughs> sweet. Yeah. But also, I think working mainly with people you choose to work with. Like, I'm still at the point where, you know, you come to the studio, you want to work with me, I'm going to work with you. But being a little bit more selective and also in the sense of, like, being more involved. Yeah. Right? Like, right now, I'm mainly engineering. I do vocal producing. But... Getting into, like, a full producer role would be something that I want to do one day. I got to say, um, my first in-person interview, I think, was a wild success, at least from <laughs> <laughs> my perspective. I haven't listened to the recording, so maybe that's my, um, that's some Katie audio engineering. <laughs> so we'll see how it sounds. I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, um, no, but this was really fun. Um, yeah. Yeah. The first annual Soundgirls virtual conference is coming up December 4th and 5th. Two days of sessions in post-production, live sound, recording arts, film and TV sound, broadcast, and more. For more information on the Soundgirls virtual conference, check out the events tab at soundgirls.org. Looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? We're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance. Be sure to check out what our friends in the podcasting community have in store for you at audiopodcast.org. Thank you for listening to the Soundgirls podcast. 